Did you? Like physically, the physical books are gone? The books I read, and I, I, I never read them like that. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, because it was given to me by uh, Tony. Tony oh. gave it to me when I was in uh, fucking like junior high or something like that. He's like, oh, here, dude, I read this, check this out. I'm like, well, I'll read this for. I read it. Oh, it's pretty good. Guardian Jackal, Dissentium, digging into the culture. This podcast, Dragonlance envisions as the next fantasy film franchise. On this Dissentium, Eric and I discuss the premises written on io9.com where Lauren Davis hit me up, suggests that Dragonlance could be the next fantasy film series. I perked up on this since Eric and I spent a healthy portion of late high school dedicated to reading the series, and I hate to admit it, but I actually spent the summer of 87 reading a dozen Dragonlance books. It is an interesting premise and one to explore. Of course, it needs to be done right. So Dragonlance began as a concept between couple Laura and Tracy Hickman as they were driving to TSR for a job. They were continuing the design of modules for their Dungeons & Dragons game system. The couple felt that the fantasy world needed more dragons, which was, for those of us that remember the rule of thumb in fantasy, was to have a limited amount of them. TSR liked the concept, and they would add a novel the first time the game company did so. Tracy Hickman would eventually team up with editor Margaret Weiss when their treatment of the material was the first novel, and it proved that they should be the ones writing it. They actually had a writer before that, and it just wasn't working out. The rest is history, and it spawned over 190 books to date. So then why this franchise? Hopefully we aren't looking at this as, well, it is a lot of books, you know, it's not that simple. It's a tremendously epic storyline. So the first question and the point of discussion with Eric is, how do you take 190 books, which is a hard number to think about in the first place, so that's a lot of books. Let's just say there's a shit ton, a lot of novels. But if you look at the popular base of the series, it's really about the core novels, which is about 11. From there, there's a supplemental count of about 47 that surround the world. So the story really surrounds two things. Ultimately, it follows the gameplay of D&D, where you have the world and you have the party. D&D as a game actually centers itself around a party. So that was a great concept and a great idea for TSR to include that as a novel. So the party lives in the world, and like the game system itself, they are to fight within the world. So Kryn is the world that they live in, and the companions are the party. At its heart are two brothers, Karaman and Raislin, Majir where the companions elevate or defeat each other on their journey, Karaman remains the steadfast good warrior and Raislin the magic user who struggles with his quest for power, but with the twist of evil playing upon him basically through most of the storyline. So the adventures and the first three novels of Dragonlance focus on the epic journey of all of its characters, and in the process the rich mythology that Weiss and Hickman infused throughout. The first novel has the companions fight for the settlement of chaos, free slaves, and converting a key seeker that would help build up the Paladine Temple. The world is settling after the Great Cataclysm, an event that cracked the world and is a continuous threat. So first novel. Yes, the yeah, Autumn Dragons of Autumn Twilight. Yes. Very good, very good read. Um, well, our whole concept is what, to uh, decide if it's a, why it should be made a movie? Yeah. Well, I mean, just based on the uh, movies that have been out there as itself, Lord of the Rings and Ikend, uh, movie of uh, the great J.R. Tolkien. I mean, it's very well written, uh, 90 years old. But I think um, based on the foundation that 
that uh, Mark Weiss and Tracy Hickman were playing Dungeons and Dragons before, um, that world alone um, is uh, basically a second generation Gerald. Tolkien. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I don't know of anybody even between that time period. You know, you look at Lord of the Rings, and it was pretty much kind of a gap until you got to that. Unless people read Frazetta, do you ever read any of this? No, stuff? no, no, not at all. But I think if they're going to do this, uh, do a movie with this, they're going to definitely have to take a more serious uh, role to it, like um, kind of like a Lord of the Rings. Uh, did Peter Jackson a little darker uh, vision of a uh, of the movie, or else you end up with a, a Dungeons and Dragons movie from 2000 with Marlon Wayans, and it ends up being a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, Jeremy Irons, of course, is a great actor by any means. Um, I think he was solid for it, but they did have the right idea, sort of start idea to it. They used uh, a lot of no name actors in Dungeons and Dragons, right? But Marlon Wayans and a couple other players uh, in that movie just it just seemed like I was watching Xena or Warrior Princess on TV <laughs> or Hercules. It seems like a TV show versus a movie. Right. But you've seen most of those D&D movies? Yeah, they're, they're pretty bad. There is an animated D&D movie I have not seen. It's been out, I think, for um, about 15 years. But you watched the Dragonlance one? Uh, yes. That yes. one's rough. Yes, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> definitely a... It's not Pixar. No. Sure. <laughs> for sure. It looks like it looks like those X-Men from the like right. the 90s. It's right. the same animation. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it's the it's definitely a, a series of books that started this whole fantasy genre from the, uh, I would say in the uh, early to mid 80s. I think it's a I think it's unique in a, in that context that we really haven't had seen a, a a set of books come out like that. I mean the only thing we've seen similar to that would be the uh, Star Wars universe that came out all those books after uh, right. the Star Wars hits and they had a good uh, line of succession but there have been no movies uh, based off of that Star Wars universe since I no. mean, ever no yeah it's almost like they lost a lot of steam after that one and, and I was reading the other day it seems like people hate that that there was that series and I'm like there's some great characters like Admiral Thrawn and things like that right know? right how many of the books did you read I read um, for, for Dragonlance I, I read the first uh, nine I guess you'd say the first uh, three the second series and the nine which was the tales or like the uh, short stories for the um, prequel or the six, uh, the, you know, and they were um, they're kind of ahead of their time. And the fact that these uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy are actually writing these um, separate parts of the country, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, what, one of them lives in Arizona and the other one's in New York or Connecticut, um, able to, to collaborate like that. I mean, even their spirit of the of, the, of their uh, ideas. I mean, they said that they were playing Dungeons and Dragons, and every one of these characters in their books was actually someone that they were actually playing. Dungeons and Dragons with. No, that's cool. That was a specific personality to that person. Um, I mean, and to get someone to play, like, say, for example, Raceline, you definitely need someone that's got to have a, a good twist uh, with a personality that can play multiple roles. Yeah, it was funny because we were talking about this before. You're reading through some of the bi- biographical stuff with the novels, and it's like, oh, I was the guy. I'm that guy. That's my character in D&D. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and they definitely said it had a unique friend of theirs that was actually playing Raceline. That they, uh, he had a raspy voice and he kind of get in character when he actually plays Dungeons and Dragons, his D and D, his D and D tune. So, uh, I mean, this this uh, series they put a lot of heart into it. Uh, it's been around for you know well over twenty years, uh, and I think it's it's you, it's definitely ready for to be made. It just uh, I think it's going to take a unique concept of uh, casting. Uh, it's going to take a, a big budget, a huge budget for this. I'm talking Lord of the Rings budget, you know, yeah, uh, to make. It's money back. So 
So I'll go through like the quick other two parts of the Chronicles series. So Chronicles is that kind of first series, right, where we set the characters up and we see Raceland and Caramon and the, kind of their struggles against each other. Uh, one thing that was interesting because I completely forgot about how long has it been since high school, but the uh, whole concept of the Paladines and then Sturm. Right. You know, having, having basically to die to be able to ascend. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So in the second novel, it uh, kind of continues the settlement of the slaves that were freed in the first novel. Uh, the growth of the Paladine Knights, uh, just like uh, similar to the growth of the Dragon Armies and the fight to control the Dragon Orbs, and I totally forgot about the whole Dragon Orb and how big a deal that was. They're trying to hide them, move right. them around. Um, so these magical artifacts control dragons, and in turn they control the fate of Kryn. And then by the third novel of the Chronicle series, the Companions have uh, been defeated quite a bit. They have a few victories in their quest to control the forces of the good and bad Dragon Orbs and also of the Dragon Lance. And you probably have to remind me too. Is there was just the single dragon lance, which was the silver one, or were there multiple ones? Well, they were uh, going off memory. If I recall, the dragons had a um, you had the dragon lance itself required a relic to actually make it, and then they had minor uh, dragon lances that didn't have like the complete uh, set, but they were still as po- powerful, but they weren't as powerful. So there's got two levels to those dragon lances um, that existed. I know there was a, they were very rare though. Like they're very precious, and I think one was so old that it wasn't like on the verge of breaking every time. They <laughs> yeah. basically had to keep it going. Hence the, hence the word relic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the divisions and evil desires throughout the uh, kind of through the fate of Crane and turmoil, and then ultimately they had to stop the five-headed dragon Tachesis, if I have that correctly. I'm just going off of what I read, but Tachesis, uh from returning to the world and bringing in the second cataclysm. Um, so that's kind of the, the setup of at least the first three novels. And if you look at things like um, Game of Thrones and how well they did that series, and do you watch that? Uh, no, you know, I have not caught that yet. I'm ready to oh, soon try it. to get that on Netflix. You'd like it. I just burned through Battlestar Galactica for the last for four seasons. <laughs> four seasons after it's been over. <laughs> <laughs> You're catching up. We've all cut the cord. <clears throat> so say we all. So say we all. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's basically the, the first couple of novels, and you know, I think the way you'd have to set it up is you'd have to look at that as the core story, uh, kind of build up around it. You'd have to pick and choose the characters. I think the core characters are already there. A lot of the feedback that I've read over the last couple of weeks uh, gearing up for this podcast was to look at uh, folks' reaction to that concept, and one thing that you hear over and over again is people say, these characters were well thought out, which I agree. These characters you always remember. Um, from the beautiful women that were throughout the novel to Caramon and Raceland and what they do. And, um, I mean, Raceland has yellow eyes, almost like feline eyes. Yeah, well, I mean, they're well thought out because they really weren't thought out specifically by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. I think they developed the idea, but um, because there was so much passion with the people they were playing with and their Dungeons & Dragons that click that each person had their own time to develop their own character and hence, they were able to dedicate that much more time to their own character. Yeah. And then that guy had its time to develop his own character. And then, so they put more passion into each one mm-hmm. versus them, uh, you know, two people or two authors just, you know, creating you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten characters in a book. I, I, just, I think that that's probably why uh, there was a lot more passion, a lot more uh, uh, diligence in, in the focusing and development of each character. No, that's a really good point because that's the problem with anybody else who writes just singly. I mean, number one, you got two authors, really, essentially. Right. And then you've got each person taking on a character with a life of its own. So that's a really good point. Yeah, I think the, I think the, I think the public out there is uh, crying for uh, some type of good dragon movie or something maybe to kind of spin off of uh, or 
come after the whole Lord of the Rings uh, uh, set that just came out. I mean, um, you have you know How to Train Your Dragon and and uh, old dragons from Game of Thrones. You know, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of dragon movies coming out. A lot of animated stuff, but there's really not everything that's kind of pushed it to. Uh, I guess that next level with dragons. There's always this one dragon mysterious in every movie, and he's sleeping, guarding his treasure. Right. Always <laughs> guarding his treasure. That's all they do. <laughs> yeah, they just guard their treasure. And when they don't have treasure, they go looking for it and eating people or burning them up. You know, it's yeah. like, come on. I mean, at least in this story, you had good dragons and bad dragons based on the color, the chrome uh, colors yeah. that went with them. And so, I mean, there was kind of a story, uh, basically an inner war, I would say, I guess, between the... Uh, good and evil side of the dragons, the yin and yang of yeah. dragons. So why Dragonlance? Well, Lauren Davis puts it down in her prompt, and she's right in a few key places that we'll explore right now. First of all, what set Dragonlance apart from uh, other novels was its rich mythology and its fully realized characters, which we talked about. But the fantasy genre in general, general can sometimes be far out of reach for a lot of people. They don't want to read it. I mean, I know when we were growing up, you try to get people into it, and they're like, oh, that's nerdy, or that's geeky, or whatever. But um, we're talking novels that you still remember the characters to this day. It's been a long time even since we've read them, and we still remember a lot of the storylines. Uh, so many folks in the pre-geek culture, fantasy was a really highly niche genre. I remember at Crown Books or Walden Books, there wasn't even a fantasy section for a long time. It was usually piled into the sci-fi section because there just wasn't enough book. Um, so Dragonlance was such a popular series on top of The Lord of the Rings that it actually started finding its own shelving on the bookshelves at that point. So I think from the early 90s forward, we started to see you know, fantasy getting its own area in bookstores. I like the concept of the cataclysm. Yeah, well, uh, of itself, uh, the, they've, they've actually taken such a, a huge basis off, like I said, of, uh, off, of, off of D&D, which actually I think, I think um, is actually a great foundation. I think it's a huge foundation for it because... I mean, we're talking, this was, what, 1987 when this uh, yep. book came out? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, who wants to hear uh, two old guys right now on the, on the <laughs> podcast uh, talking about this? Why us? I, I guess I'd say probably, I think, mostly because, you know, I was 15 when this, this book came out, and uh, we probably lived through the whole the video game, and now there's sci-fi on video games, and, and, uh, uh, and uh, seeing the whole fantasy kind of grow up now through the, the early late 80s you know we were playing uh, a D&D. Uh, uh, people now to sit down and play D and with, with uh, dice and cards and modules and all that stuff is almost uh, you know still rare we still have some hardcore guys that are still out there doing it but i think that that passion and imagination i think that passion and imagination using your mind uh, like anybody else does is probably why uh it, dragonlance has been so successful uh in, in the uh, in the book realm but i think that because if they, they were able to expound on so many aspects of imagination uh, that you don't do now. Now it's just all video games and some animated flicks and uh, a bunch of crappy movies. And, right. Uh, <laughs> but I think, they, I think they, they nailed it. I think they were ahead of their time. Um, I think kind of basically huge successors to uh, uh, the modern age of, of fantasy. I mean, late 70s, early 80s, these guys were... God bless Gary Gygax. Rest, rest in peace. Right. For <laughs> his, his ideas. Right. 
Yeah, and then you also bring up the whole concept of D&D and the companion thing, which might be new to a lot of people because, like you said, a lot of folks aren't doing you know gaming that way. They're playing Elder Scrolls now online, and it's all done. There's no more dice. You know, Things are worked out as math in the background. But the companion characteristic in Lord of the Rings and the, fel- or the you know, Fellowship is what they called it in theirs is not new, but in Dragonlance, the concept was much more focused and had like a smaller set of people, which I thought was great because you get to learn the characters a lot more. Um, and not only a party of characters, but half the group would basically fall apart, which I thought was, you know, I think an antithesis of Lord of the Rings, where the companions all were all together and they never really broke apart, except in a few very minor cases. But in the Fellowship and, or the Companion series, half the group would be, basically try to kill each other by the end. So. <laughs> Um, you had the love triangles within them, very focused love triangles. Um, the whole idea of Raceland and where he's trying to go and how uh, set apart he is from Caramon. Lord of the Rings almost felt one-sided. Everybody was trying to to destroy the ring. It was really only Sauron who was the bad guy. But in the in um, the Dragonlance series, it was like you had everybody pitted against each other. There was the the allure of power, the allure of riches. Sturm was, you know, obviously he's a he's a good person, but he was even tempted to leave and not become what he was. In the end, he became, you know, fairly high up in the Paladin um, Temple. It was a potpourri of classes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Paladins and magic users and right. Then there's a love triangle between uh, Tannis and Lorana and Kateria. I want to get those names right. I haven't said those names in years, but the epic fight between the brothers and that whole allure and evil of chaos. Um, so who do you think would play these characters? Hmm. I know you like Redhead, so you have to think. Oh, yeah, if I was going to pick my... Isla Fisher. Sp- yeah, Isla Fisher for sure. Isla Fisher. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, for Lorana. Uh, you know, I mean, I think you ha- you, there's a whole group of talented actors out there that haven't had their... Uh, haven't been identified yet who... Um, um, taking, I like to think, on the... Uh, Star Wars uh, recipe. I mean, a lot of no names. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest actor at that time was Harrison Ford from American Graffiti prior yep. to that, but a couple years before that. But uh, I think you're going to need uh, probably at least Hollywood's insurance, as they say. They're one big actor to get some people drawing there. Yeah. And you are going to need a. Um, but then that goes back to Star Wars as well, huh? Sir Alec Guinness, of course, the only uh, seasoned actor in that right. movie. But. Right. Uh, you're definitely going to need someone who's going to be seasoned in that movie, uh, with a lot of experience and well-known, a very good, uh, you know, thespian or English actor of some sort. And then you're going to have to take. Um, I think you're going to need some really well-no-named actors in that movie. Uh, the only drawback I thought from Lord of the Rings was that they did were a little too heavy uh, with known actors in that yeah. movie. And I think that distracts from the actual storyline. They didn't take any chances, for sure. Yeah, yeah, they weren't going out with that budget. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> not with that budget. But you, know, you definitely need to uh, get some people that are going to focus on the story, who can actually play the part. Mm-hmm. Maybe even some D and D fans of some sort. Maybe you know they're little nerds behind the scenes. They like to, you know, they're little fantasy geeks too, and that they're really going to take some passion to this and take it serious. Was a guy from Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch or whatever yeah. from Star Trek? Remember? Uh, oh yeah, Colin? Yeah, yeah. What if he was Raceland? Hmm. It'd be interesting. I always imagine Raceland as being very pale. Yeah. Kind of, kind of a, kind of a, uh, a tombstone sort of a Doc Holliday. Right. You know, frail and coughing, coughing with tuberculosis, even though he can wield all these magical powers and blow everybody away. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cool. 
and then speaking of which, that was one of her third points was Raceland himself as um, kind of the anchor for all of the storylines. So again, you've got Chronicles and Tales. Um, the whole series can easily center around him as the antihero, which I don't think we've seen in a lot of other series. You know, having somebody who we know is going to turn evil, who's going to destroy people and just even destroy his own brother. So he transform over the course of the novels as a weak magic user that travels between good and evil, trying to straddle both sides. But eventually you start to see that he's hunger for power, and then, of course, that's evil. But near the end, he becomes basically a god. Between the Chronicles and Legends, they both outline his journey. Um, and with at least CG where it is today, we'll be able to get something a little bit better to show off. You know, I'd, Obviously, we couldn't do this even 10 years ago, what we could do today, especially at the TV level. Well, like you said, you, go, you haven't seen that storyline done with Raceline. I'm sure people out there in cyberspace are like, well, I've seen it a thousand times, a hundred times. Yeah, not in 1987. No, not at all. Not in 1980. You've seen it now because that was the foundation. They're, these movies that are out here now are brothers aspire to take over the world and all that stuff. And, um, and you see that now because of that. So, you know, a lot of stuff has been uh, originated by uh, Dragonlance. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Um, and then the fourth point was uh, we deserve better than the 1990s animated movie, which we kind of talked about. It looks really rough. And th- I was watching it the other night, and I felt like I think the problem with it is where the books inspire. This doesn't do that at all. Even when they kind of in the beginning go over the course of Kryn and then they show the cataclysm they show when the evil or the chaotic gods were in power people were just dying there was all that it didn't feel that way though you just see it it's like okay I see that bad things are happening but you don't feel it right so I think that's where we could do a little bit better do you think movie or TV oh god I, I would say anytime I've seen a book go to a TV it's just been a disaster if you want to talk like The Shining The Stand uh, anything go from book to TV I think uh I think all, like anybody else, I think everything that's uh, well-written first uh, tends to do better in movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if it was geared more towards kids, like a children's series, I think it would be great for TV. Yeah. Uh, but based for um, on a uh, more of an adult level, on a more serious level, I think it just has to be a darker sense to this movie. Uh, from the movies, like fantasy movies I've seen in the past, you know, like I said... Uh, a D&D movie or even one we just talked about, Rain, uh, Rain of Fire with Matthew McConaughey on our break. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, these, these movies are, uh, it's sometimes they're taken a little lightheartedly and comical at some point instead of just uh, just kind of just telling the story. Do you think it should even be done? Ooh. That's a double-edged sword there, right? I'd say, uh, no pun intended. Huh? Uh, I would say it should be done if uh, you have a right, the right director. Right. I think you definitely need to have Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman on board as consultants, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, even in the actual movie process, like, they're... Yeah, that's a good um, point. I don't know how, what they call it in the movie business, but basically they're... Um, and I think that they're not going to be able to... This is, you know, this is six, six books here. <clears throat> this is a long series. I mean, you know, we just barely got through what the Star Wars... Uh, six set after what 20 some odd years yeah, there. <laughs> uh, for something like this this is going to take I think it would take time uh, I, I hate for whatever they do to do something like they did with Lord of the Rings with the first three out and let's come up with the Hobbit and the prequel afterwards right. you know just try to squeeze some more blood from her turn up and then extend that and for the, three movies yeah but the book was like 100 pages and then it's like a two and a half hour flick and top yeah. of that there's a sequel coming out <laughs> right <laughs> I'm like the book wasn't that long it's no. like what a, a Mice and Men Steinbeck's 89 pages or whatever it is yeah, and especially where they end the second Hobbit movie. I was like, we're still going to go on from here? I was like, oh, my God. The kids yeah. were like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, as it was, they're filming parts 
of, uh, of, of the were briefly described in the book in less than a page. Right. They made like a 10 minute fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I said if it's going to be a movie that's definitely going to be done by the right people, the right directors. I think that that storyline is uh, the writing probably has to come directly from them almost. Yeah. And I would say, too, I think you'd have to start off obviously with Chronicles, see how well it does, and see if you go on to Tales. You know, but Chronicles has got enough in it that I think it would draw a lot of people in. So basically, how does this play out? You know, let's say we are in that in that mode. Dragonlance is getting made. Format could be argued, but of course, with anything, we should start off with the Chronicle series. You've got a format of three two-hour episodes, perhaps for each book. Maybe they just start off with the first book and see how it goes from there. Um, they also need to make it feel epic. So, with Game of Thrones, they start off by you know with an, a tremendous intro that kind of show this beautiful map of the world, almost like a steampunkish kind of look to it, mm-hmm. and they kind of tell you that this storyline is infecting the entire world, like this whole thing. So with Kryn. Kryn is a world and a living thing in and of itself that, the, you know, the cataclysm kind of set the basis for where everything is at now. So you kind of have to show Kryn, I think, in the opening sequence. you got to show what's happened, what's gone on every episode, say that everything's at stake, you know, in order to keep that tension going with the series. It's almost like Walking Dead, where everything is teetering every single time. It's that apocal, you know, apocalyptic world because that's what Kryn is. It's gone through a cataclysm. The idea of the cataclysm could happen again. So that's the part that they're all struggling with. You know, Raceland is, they all start to see that Raceland's going to be the one who could bring the Cataclysm back again with Tachihesis. So they're all scared that he's going to become too powerful and eventually that's kind of what happens. So if you don't do those key things, I think that's where it fails. Um, and dragons are a key thing. So we were talking a couple of weeks ago about, you know, dragons. What are good dragon movies in your mind? Oh, Willow. <laughs> Well, it had a great dragon in it. That's true. Great dragon in it. Um, that's old school. That's old school right there, guys. I'm taking you all the way back. Uh, let's see. What What's sad is no one even talks about Willow anymore. It's yeah, almost like Willow. a non-movie. You didn't like Val Kilmer? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you a hater on Val Kilmer, hater? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm, I've always been a fan of kind of the old old school uh, Ray Harryhausen, uh, that kind of style of dragons. These not so much of a fan of the talking dragons, but uh, in, in, uh, in this series you kind of... Um, and those movies that have had that, you know, it's, uh, it's just it's part of their storyline. You know, it is what it is. Um, I think you're just going to need a. I think you need to have a lot of fo- uh, character development, and, and it seems like in movies there's always a little short because they're uh, uh, short on money, budget, right. the time budget. Unlike uh, Walking Dead, where you've got you know seasons and seasons and develop characters and focus on that, and not so much on zombies around them. But you know, I think it, this is going to be a definitely a delicate balance and be able to uh, bring these bring these characters out. You know, so we'll see see if they, if they ever do it. Now, you bring up a good point, too. So the other thing that we had talked about before, and I, I'll bring up Aragon quite a bit in this part of the discussion, that Aragon the movie failed because it didn't show any of its classes and characters at all or the other races that live in the books. Um, it, it was four novels, and basically they didn't have anything in there that would tie anybody into the world at all. So you didn't get to see uh, a lot of the different races like the dwarves or the orcs or anything like that. So in this series... Like we were saying during the break, you know, Eric pointed out that there's a ton of different races and classes and all of these other, um, you know, I think the the richness of the world needs to be explored there as well. Um, there's gods in this world, you know, all powerful gods that almost like the Greek mythology, they come in and out and they help. 
uh, what's his name, Fizban. That's right. Yeah, Fizban comes in and out. He was the god of good. He was kind of basically in incognito like Gandalf was. You know, Gandalf was a, actually an extremely powerful wizard, but you don't see it until he goes through his transformation, fighting Balrog in the tunnels. Well, Lord of the Rings is very uh, magic in that in that time is very subtle. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. It's very subtle. It's not blazing. Uh, but in you know, in D and D, it's much different. And uh, in this, uh, it's, it, you know, magic users and mages are always by far always the more rare gem. Like you don't see in, in every movie, in every storyline, always kind of like that. That little witch in the woods that you know you don't see too many of them out there, right? You know, but yeah, I, I think uh, eventually, hopefully, they can do something like um, my old school movie favorite, Dragon Slayer. Yeah, little nineteen eighty two, old school, uh, dark yeah. but simple cast, great storyline. Yeah, great storyline, good dragon, Dragon Heart. Did you like that? Mm, not so much. <laughs> not so much. I kind of like Dragon Heart. <laughs> um, so we said Willow, Dragonheart, Dragon Slayer. Now, Dragon Slayer, I would agree. That's probably one of the highest ones where even the CG wasn't even the, all the way there at that point, but the storyline was so good that it drew you in and you had really good characters. Yes. And I love the kicker at the end where the guy claims to have killed the dragon on his own. Yes. That great. You watch Game of Thrones, too, and there's some beautiful work with CG there. Aragon, if anything, even though the movie fails in a lot of respects, the look of the dragon was incredible in that movie if you get a chance to check that out. We talked about Reign of Fire. That's not a bad dragon movie. Uh, it's not great, but it's, it's not a nice bad. twist to the uh, 21st century dragon or 20th century dragon. Right. I understood what they're getting at. Yeah. Money. Money. <laughs> <laughs> they do seem to make a lot of appearances these days, even though the movie may not be about dragons. But things like Sorcerer's Apprentice, one will appear there. Um, well, Maleficent, you know. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that one yet, but they've no, got it. I haven't. Yeah. So uh, Angelina Jolie actually turns into one. Really? Yeah, just like in the Sleeping Beauty animated movie back in the day. Looks pretty good. Enough animations. I think we need some more uh, live movies. Though. There's, everywhere, there's an animation movie for everything now these days. Yeah. <laughs> so we can end off with this. Any other last thoughts? Uh, last thoughts. How about some sexy female dragons? <laughs> sexy rumps. Yeah. Sexy Hines. Some nice gams <laughs> on them. <laughs> so to kind of wrap up here, I think it was a great premise that Lauren Davis brings up. So I think uh, it was rich enough to talk for a half an hour. I think one thing that, you know, the folks that be and the powers that be in Hollywood, you know, can it keep interest? And I, th- I would say, yes, Dragonlance has sold over 22 million copies. It's been done in a few different languages. Again, 190 books. A lot of fans out there, a lot of folks who know it, so you'd bridge the gap between people who are new to fantasy as well as bringing some of the old-timers in and uh, getting to see their characters brought to life. So that's it for Dicentimian. Eric and I will be saying goodbye. Uh, goodbye, all, and if they make this movie, uh, give me some Peter Cushing, some Alec Guinnesses, give me some old-school English actors in there, some Richard Harris's. Rest in peace. <laughs> Thank you.
Oh, 